What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Twitter Tuesday here on this podcast. We'll pick up with the Tackling the Tough Questions series tomorrow. We're going to focus on the running backs, but today is the more general questions that you guys have. Twitter Tuesday, you guys know the drill. Uh, Like I said, tomorrow's running back day, so if you have questions, concerns, comments, anything you want me to deal with, any tough questions you want me to tackle about the Bills running back situation in the 2020 season, send them in. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Marino. Shoot me a DM, send me a tweet. You can also send me an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. I really appreciate what you guys are doing to make this Tackling the Tough Questions series really good. Outstanding stuff so far. And we're addressing these position groups in a preview-style way, but getting to the core of what you guys are thinking about. So thanks so much for the fantastic start, and I look forward to continuing to cover these position groups in depth the way that you guys want me to. Let's do Twitter Tuesday. First one comes from Look to Your Right, who says, I know this isn't a Bills-related question per se, but how did the Jets get two first-round picks and a third-round pick for a safety? I know he's a great player, but he's still a safety. I would be furious if the Bills gave up that for a safety. Thoughts? Of course, look to your right is referring to the New York Jets trade to ship off Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks for two first-round picks. Um, They also were able to get a third back, but they send a four, and also Bradley McDougal goes from Seattle to New York. I figured we'd have a chance to talk about this on the podcast. So I can see this deal making a lot of sense for both teams. Obviously, the Jets probably felt like they had to trade Jamal Adams, right? I mean, the guy's been pretty unhappy in New York. He's been very vocal about his issues with Adam Gase and the organization. And Joe Douglas, the general manager, pretty much had to trade him. Now, I am absolutely floored that they were able to get this type of a return for him. Jamal Adams is a good football player, one of the better safeties in the league, one of the better defensive players in the league, but he's a safety, as look to your right, has reminded us several times in his question. You should not uh, be receiving multiple first-round picks back for Jamal Adams, but that's what the Seattle Seahawks gave them. And so credit the Jets, right? They were able to unload really their star player and get a, a very good return for him, especially since they had to trade him. Now, here's the deal with Seattle. Seattle has been an awful team, and I mean an awful team at drafting in the first round. Since the uh, fifth-year option became a thing starting with the 2011 draft class, Seattle has not picked up the fifth-year option on any of their draft picks. Now, part of that is because they don't often pick in the first round. They love to trade their first-round pick or trade completely out of the first round. Uh, Since 2011, they have traded their first-round pick in 2013 for Percy Harvin, in 2015 for Jimmy Graham. In 2014 and 2017, they traded completely out of the first round. Here's what they have to show for it. Paul Richardson, Malik McDowell, Delano Hill, Tedrick Thompson, Chris Carson, and Cassius Mars. That's not worth uh, not picking in the first round for that cast of characters. Now, they have picked in the first round, and here's what they have to show for it. In 2011, James Carpenter. In 2012, Bruce Irvin. And 2016, Jermaine Affetti. Not necessarily what you would call slam dunk picks. Now, they've picked each of the last three years in the first round, running back Rashad Penny, who's totally 
entering bus territory. He's been injured, and that was a head-scratching pick when it was made. LJ Collier, who was a surprising first-round pick for me and uh, really missed a bunch of time with injury, and he probably projects more as a rotational-type rotational type defensive lineman. And then Jordan Brooks last year, who was nowhere near a first-round caliber prospect. So the Seahawks are in a class of their own when it comes to failing to find value in first-round picks. So they may actually have something to look back on by acquiring Jamal Adams, who's going to be a good player for them. He's going to be a good player. Uh, but you know, two first-round picks and a third for a safety, uh, that's pretty wild. But I guess you know, kind of bringing this back to the Jets' perspective, which I think is what most people are concerned with as Bills fans listening to a Bills podcast, You know, the Jets did a great job of getting great value for Jamal Adams, and now they're set up very nicely in terms of they've got Sam Darnold, who's a reasonably exciting young franchise quarterback, and they have four first-round picks in the next two drafts, probably picking pretty high this year. So they're going to be able to really add to um, their roster. Now it's going to be all about finding the right coach, right? Adam Gase, obviously not the answer long-term. So Joe, Joe Douglas will probably have to get through this year, uh, find himself a coach, and of course make these draft picks count. But when you think about the draft capital that Miami's been able to compile uh, last year and of course what they have uh, next year and of course now the Jets for the next two years really being loaded with draft capital you know it feels like they've at least given themselves a chance to catch up to the Bills who you know got ahead of them when it comes to restarting and rebuilding and um, you know positioning themselves to compete so yeah I think that that move does change the landscape a bit moving forward and uh, you got to give the Jets credit for being able to get so much in return for a safety. Judge Mathis. Now this, I mentioned yesterday on the podcast that I was having to deal with perhaps the toughest Twitter Tuesday question I've ever received. And here it is. Judge Mathis, host of the Bills Guys podcast on Buffalo Fanatics. He said, I have a Twitter Tuesday for you because I'm getting absolutely flamed by some of my Buffalo Fanatics colleagues. Would you trade Josh Allen straight up for Kyler Murray or Joe Burrow if offered? I had the audacity to say yes. And here we go. Now it's time for my answer. I like all three of those quarterbacks. I really do. I think Arizona, Buffalo, and Cincinnati should feel pretty good about the forecast of the quarterback position for their respective teams. I don't know that I'd do it for Kyler Murray. I'm not going to confidently say yes that I would. I like Kyler. I think he's got a lot of uh, exciting skill. He's got a really live arm. He's got some wonderful accuracy. He's dynamic in terms of being able to extend plays and run, all that type of stuff. I think he's going to be a good player. I'm not so sure that I'm that eager to trade Josh Allen straight up for him, but I would do it for Joe Burrow. I'm sorry. I would do it. I love Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is just much more naturally gifted in the ways that Josh Allen is not. Now, Joe Burrow doesn't have his athleticism, he doesn't have his size, he doesn't have his arm strength, but Joe Burrow is superior when it comes to accuracy, decision-making, handling pressure, all of those things. Those things are just much more natural for Joe Burrow. And I know Joe Burrow's probably they're the same age, right, him and Josh Allen. And so, you know, that comes into play a bit, but I think Josh Allen has had to kind of his starting point is so different in terms of what he had to work in going into the league where Joe Burrow is just kind of at a different starting point. Now, I will recognize that I think Josh Allen has a higher ceiling if he reaches it. 
because Joe Burrow can't touch his athletic traits. So if both guys reach their ultimate ceiling, if they reach every bit of potential that they have, you're going to want Josh Allen. With that said, I just I feel better about where Joe Burrow is more naturally talented, uh, and I would trade Josh Allen for Joe Burrow. I'm sorry. Hopefully you keep listening to the podcast. Kyle says, with the coronavirus making a potential large impact against the 2021 season's cap, I saw the article that said a cap of $175 million could happen. Would it be more likely now to see players like Ty Inseki, Spencer Long, Steven Hauschka, Pat DeMarco, TJ Yeldon, and Trent Murphy go, even though they may have bigger impacts than rookies or replacements this year to save money and add to the rollover for extensions that, that, that should be handed out? It's a great question, Kyle. Here's the thing. I see where you're going. I can see why you would ask this question, but I kind of feel like depth is more important than ever this year. And so I would be less eager to move on from those players because I've got a season right now to worry about. And I think this depth of the football team with, you know, the virus, with injuries, with a weird year altogether where, you know, just the preparation's not normal, you're going to want that depth. And so I think you have to try to do what's best short and long term. And I think that's probably hanging on to your meaningful depth and then, you know, kind of resetting the deck and seeing where things are and dealing with, you know, 2021's problems when you have to deal with them. But I am less inclined, at least from my perspective, to move on from, you know, that veteran depth that uh, seems to be uh, something that could position you better to retain, retain some of your, your young talent. Jimmy says, uh, seems like Sean McDermott always has an older corner opposite the younger one. With Richard Sherman being a free agent next offseason, could you see him as a possibility next to Trey White, obviously, depending on cost? And how do you think he would fit the defense? Absolutely. I think Richard Sherman's exactly the type of late-in-his-career type player that we've seen Sean McDermott go after and have on his defenses, whether it's been Drayton Florence in Carolina or Peanut Tillman or uh, you know Vontae Davis or Josh Norman this year. Yeah, this has been kind of Sean McDermott's thing, and Richard Sherman uh, has thrived in zone coverage. That's kind of been what he does. He's a good tackler, he's physical in press, and he's really good in zone coverage. Now, you, you still have some concerns about, you know, just a guy that is a limited athlete already, aging, you know, what type of caliber of output can you reasonably expect? And, you know, if he's still playing at a starter level, well, why wouldn't he be back in San Francisco who – you know, has the flexibility to bring him back, and I'm sure they would want him. And if he's, you know, again, if he's a starter-worthy player, you know, I think I think he'll probably want to stay on the West Coast and, and play for the 49ers. But I, I do see where you're going, you know, uh, even with the Bills having this uh, trio of VJ Gaines, Josh Norman, and Levi Wallace, all of those guys, they, they have contracts that expire after the season. And so the makeup of the, of the cornerback room could be quite different opposite of Trey White moving forward. And yeah, I think Richard Sherman would absolutely be a logical, reasonable, and, and something I could um, perhaps see unfolding if he were to actually leave the 49ers. Kyle B. says, after listening to your Tough Questions offensive line segment, I had a few questions I would like your expertise on. First, last year the Bills were able to trade away two offensive linemen for additional draft capital. On the O-Line podcast, you mentioned there are many options for who makes the end of the roster. Any idea what players could be traded and what picks they could be traded for? So 
I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier with uh, the question from Kyle, but I do think that the dynamics of this offseason, right, it's a shortened offseason. We also have the potential COVID cases that could hit the team. In addition to the expanded uh, practice squads with protected spots, it sort of limits Bean's ability to make those types of moves despite him being in very good position to do so. Truth be told, uh, he may want to keep that a 10th or 11th offensive lineman even on the practice squad more than having a late-round draft pick. Uh, The second question from Kyle is, you also mentioned the salary cap going down potentially 30%. Does that mean that teams are going to hold on to draft picks more closely this year compared to trading for more expensive players? Well, the good news here is that since I made that comment, uh, the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to a cap floor of $175 million next year. That could go up, um, but I do think that teams will be more inclined to keep low-cost players that are under contract for 2021 because uh, the cap's going to come down, and um, teams did not build their rosters right now. They didn't project out their cap long-term expecting that to be the case in 2021. So, yeah, if they're signed through 2021 and they're a low-cost player, that's going to give them one hell of a chance to stick. Next one comes from Landon who says, I have two questions for Twitter Tuesday. The first is, are you concerned that Josh Allen could be this year's Mitchell Trubisky where expectations are high and he is expected to take a big step, but he regresses? Allen has some similar problems as Trubisky, such as accuracy and decision-making and being consistent throughout games. Hope this doesn't happen, but it has been in the back of my mind for a while. I hate the Trubisky comparisons. I really do. I think they're such different players. I do think it's a reasonable concern that everybody should have that Josh Allen doesn't take a step forward and he plateaus and last year was his floor and that's as good as he'll ever be. I'm willing to bet in his work ethic, his leadership, and the fact that he's shown significant growth dating back to his time at at Wyoming to the player we saw last year. So I think there's more reason to believe in the ceiling of Josh Allen than Mitchell Trubisky. The second question that Landon had is because of the unpredictability of the NFL, people are saying that the Bills are a better team this year than last year, which I agree with. But because our schedule was significantly harder than last year, I could see a possibility where even though the Bills are a better team, they go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and barely make the playoffs or miss. Would this be a disappointment? Look, I think that there's such fine lines in the NFL. The difference between 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and 7 and 10-6 and six is very small. I mean, you could look at the Bills' schedule. What if that Titans kicker doesn't miss all those field goals? What if John Brown doesn't catch that game winner against the Jets? You know? I mean, you the, the Bills are an 8-8 eight eight football team. That That's how quickly it can happen. So I do think that it's fragile in the NFL. Um, and uh, I see what you're saying. Like, the Bills could be a better team, but because the schedule's tougher. Like, we don't know that the schedule's actually tougher. You know, on a year-to-year basis, it's so unpredictable. Uh, on who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. And I kind of think the schedule stacks up pretty reasonably well. And if the Bills are a better team and I think the schedule falls correctly, then it may not matter that it's a tougher schedule. And because the Bills are a better team, they'll be a 10-6 and six team at least again. So there, there's so much to dig into with that that I think um, really, you know, we're talking about very blurry lines. And um, I guess I'll say this. If the Bills are a 7-9, 8-8 football team and don't make the playoffs, I'd be disappointed because I have better expectations for what this team can be, the talent that it has, the coaching, 
all of that stuff. I'm expecting the Bills to be a good football team that makes the playoffs and um, you know probably even wins a game. Uh, and, you know, just not a not a team that people look at and say, you know, uh, they're a, they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. I think they should be very comfortably a playoff team. Drew says, I've got a Twitter Tuesday question for you. We've got a few players on the roster who are essentially special teams only. For example, Taiwan Jones and Andre Roberts. What is the right number of roster spots to allocate to this kind of player? What do other teams do? Also, in terms of roster construction, why does the formal position matter for these players? When talking about rosters, I often hear people talking, for example, about Andre Roberts taking up one of the wide receiver spots. Since Roberts almost never plays receiver, I think it shouldn't matter what his formal position is if he were a cornerback who didn't play cornerback instead of a wide receiver who doesn't play wide receiver. Would we be talking about a roster crunch in the cornerback room instead of in the wide receiver room? Well, okay, so first of all, uh, you know, quote-unquote special teams only players, you know, the Bills will have Taiwan Jones, uh, Andre Roberts, and Tyler Medikavich is absolutely a special teams only player. And then, of course, you have a kicker, punter, and a long snapper. That's six spots dedicated to, you know, quote-unquote special teams only players. And I think probably having three of those is is a reasonable number. But, you know, obviously three is not enough. You, you still play 11 guys on special team snaps. So you need, um, you know, your, your more traditional position players to play those spots. And look, I mean, you, you have to have a position, right? So yeah, Andre Roberts is the returner. Tyler Matikiewicz is, uh, you know, a kick coverer and, and a blocker on special teams. And, um, you know, Taiwan Jones is the same thing, but they still play linebacker and running back. You just don't want them to ever have to do that. At the end of the day, if, if Taiwan Jones was going to help the football team, not on special teams, it would be as a running back. Same thing with Tyler Medikavich. He would play linebacker. They still are fully trained in those positions. You just don't want to get down to it. You don't want those guys to play running back or linebacker. So I think the Bills are at a reasonable amount. I think five, six, seven types of players that are like that is is the norm and then you know look i think they do have to have a position because unless you're a kicker or a snapper or a punter you got to do something else next one here comes from tony who says are there any of these you could see the bills making a play on or do you think they stand pat with the salary cap reduction forthcoming so tony gave me a field gates tweet that listed eight prominent players that were still available for teams to sign and so the question was do i see the bills going after any of these and I guess um, if circumstances required it, you know, if the Bills got thin at a particular position, yeah, you'd love to go after one of those those players, you know, Logan Ryan or Everson Griffin or Larry Warford or Devonta Freeman, something like that. But I think the Bills and, and pretty much, well, not pretty much everyone, I think the Bills are prepared to go into this thing with the guys they have and adjust from there. But I don't think the Bills going after one of these players and then giving them a sizable piece of the cap um, at this point is something that I'm expecting. Edgar says, hi, Joe Edgar from Mexico here. The salary cap floor from 2021 has been set at 175 million. And as I know, as of right now, we have 177 million already committed, making things difficult to retain both Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano. The good thing here is that all teams are playing on the same ground, which means that only a handful of teams would be able to sign those premium free agents next season. How do you envision things playing out for contract extensions for these prominent players? You're exactly right, Edgar. That's that's a big challenge that the league has. It's not just a Buffalo Bills problem. It's a league-wide problem. Guys are, are entering their free agent years, 
expecting to get a big deal, but teams just can't fit it. And so I think that's why you saw this floor of $175 million adopted by the NFL and the NFLPA to give them some type of a chance to maximize their opportunity to get paid because the salary cap going down isn't really good for anybody in terms of players. It's not good for teams. It's not good for fans, right? Because you want to see your players stick. You don't want to see guys walk just because of these dynamics. But, you know, it's it's something that everyone's facing. And, and the Bills do have, you know, wiggle room. And, and, and the show coming up, I'll, I'll go through some of the guys that they could move on from and create cap space. And again, 175 is the floor. So that could go up and you know, there, there could be some more strategic things to improve the salary cap floor and, and allow teams to do more to re-sign these players. I think the last thing that the NFLPA is going to want to have happen is all these prominent guys hitting the market and there's no cap space available. So I think, I think there's going to be enough creativity done to make this work for guys like Dawkins and Milano. Imagine being those guys. You were second round pick if you're Dawkins. You're a fifth round pick if you're Milano. You've been playing, you know, for uh, you know a below league average deal in terms of what you've developed into. You know, at least an average starting left tackle and at least a, a probably slightly above average linebacker in Matt Milano. You probably it's, it's you want to get paid. You want to get paid like you're you're that type of player, and then you, you get that opportunity, and nobody's got any salary cap space, and you know, and that's just two players out of hundreds that are going to be facing that next year. So. I got a feeling. I got a feeling that's going to become a better situation than we forecasted today. Uh, Edgar had a second question. He said another question came to mind as I'm reading that Josh Allen made the hundred best players for 2021. How much stock do you put on the list? It's kind of weird, right? Because on one hand, it's NFL players that put him on there, right? Like the guys Josh Allen goes up against said. That's one of the best 100 guys in the league. And I don't want to sit here and throw stones at NFL players for doing that. I'm not sure what their motivation is or how they stack it or what their criteria is. But, you know, I I think that it's – I think it's at least interesting that his peers and guys he competes against view him as a top 100 player in the league. So I don't think that you're going to see – any media list of top 100 players include Josh Allen. And so that discrepancy is very interesting. But in terms of stock, I don't put a lot of stock into it other than I make a mental note that the guys that face Josh Allen thinks he's a pretty good player. Matt says, do you see a scenario where both Davis, Gabe Davis, and Isaiah Hodgins make the team also? Do you think it'll be easier to sneak some guys onto the practice squad this year? I'll be honest. I have a difficult time seeing both Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins making the team. I do. I think that the proven special teams ability of a Robert Foster, the return ability of an Andre Roberts, Isaiah McKenzie kind of being this gadgety type player, even Duke Williams, uh, who was rostered last year that was targeted 10 times in the playoffs, you know, I, I don't, in addition to the top three, Diggs, Beasley, Brown, right? So <laughs> I do think it could be a difficult course for them to both make it. Um, especially because I don't know that Hodgins really profiles well as a special teams player. You know, he's more of a big slot, good route runner, good hands, limited athlete, doesn't necessarily have that type of temperament that you believe translates well to special teams. So I don't think they both make it, to be completely honest with you. Um, I do expect Gabe Davis to make it. I think he's a near roster lock as a fourth-round pick. 
In terms of sneaking guys onto the practice squad, it's going to be so weird this year. I almost wish there were some unwritten rules adopted where teams just said, let's everyone leave everyone's practice squads alone and uh, and realize the dynamics are that are here and, and just kind of respect that. But it's the NFL. It's competition. It's cutthroat, man. These guys are out for blood. I don't think it's going to be that way. Um, so I think that teams are more than ever going to be aware of who's on whose practice squad and force teams to make decisions. You know, I'm going to sign you off this practice squad to my active roster, and we're going to force you to make that decision and release a player from your active roster to elevate that player. It's there's so many weird dynamics, um, but uh, I don't think it's going to be easier. No, I think it could be tougher. Next question is from Justin, who says, with the Marlins situation, can we leave the two games against the Dolphins to the end of the season? Well, you, you, you sort of can. Uh, if you know, I mean, the way it's set up is that everyone's week two opponent has the same bye. And so the Bills play the Dolphins in week two, and then they have a mutual bye week in uh, week 11, which is November 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if that's going to work out that way where the Bills will just take their bye week in week two and then they play Miami in week 11 when they both have the same bye week. I don't think that would happen, but I, I'm picking up what you're laying down there, just Justin. Ben says, I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Ben. Question, I know you believe the Bills would prefer to fill their quarterback room with two quarterbacks on the roster and potentially one on the practice squad. Do you think this will be impacted by COVID? Uh, no, I don't. I think it's even more likely that the Bills have two on the roster, one on the practice squad, um, and that practice squad one being potentially Davis Webb and not necessarily Jake Fromm um, because you have protected practice squad spots, right? So if that's the case, you definitely put a quarterback under that label and you 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 definitely don't have to carry three on your active roster and you can have more beef elsewhere at, at other positions. So I, I actually think that because of COVID and how it's changed the structure of rosters in terms of the practice squad and having protected practice squad spots, the Bills are even less likely to carry three on the active roster. Laura says, hey, Joe, glad to be back to work and listening on the commute again. Well, I'm happy for you that you are, uh, sounds like, back to work, and uh, thanks for letting me join you on the commute. If COVID extremely limits stadium attendance, which NFL teams depend on that 12th man the most, and which games do you see, if any, affecting the Bills the most? So just kind of across the league, the the stadiums and, and home field advantages that stand out to me are like the New Orleans Saints, everybody talks about how loud the Superdome is. The Chiefs, we know that's a, a wonderful fan base that they have out there that is rabid always, but especially coming off of a Super Bowl win. Minnesota's a loud stadium, of course, Seattle, where um, you know they have the 12s out there. The Bills themselves, right? We know that uh, Bills Mafia is a wonderful advantage for Buffalo. Um, but when I look at the Bills' away opponents this year, Miami, Las Vegas, Tennessee, Let's 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 go one by one. Miami stadium's empty anyways. Las Vegas. I mean, I'm sure that that would be a a packed out situation because it's new to Vegas, but it's probably a wine and cheese crowd. Let's be honest. There's no you know there's no deep rooted um, there's no deep roots for the Raiders in Las Vegas, Tennessee, where the Bills took over Nashville last year. The Jets. Eh. Is that I mean that's not even going to be a good football team this year. I'm sure that the the fans wouldn't be overly passionate. Arizona, that's not that's a horrible football town. The 49ers, yeah, you probably that's probably one that 
that they wish they had fans. Denver, that's probably one that they wish they had fans. And, of course, New England, who, you know, we'll see how that fan base bounces back now that Tom Brady's not uh, the signal caller. So I would definitely say San Francisco and Denver are the two away dates for the Bills this year that uh, the Bills would are going to benefit most by them not having fans and that, you know, the, those teams will lose uh, the advantage. But obviously those eight games – at, at whatever stadium it is, the Bills Stadium. I almost called it Ralph Wilson Stadium. It's not New Era Field. Whatever we're calling it, uh, you know, that's that's the real loss. That's the real loss in my view. Last one comes from Primetime Kano. Um, <laughs> he said, this isn't a Bills question, but it does relate to Buffalo scouting and football. With the news that the Blue Jays will be playing in Buffalo this year, I'm curious to get your thoughts on current Buffalo Blue Jay and former Buffalo Bison Anthony Alford. Alford was projected by some as a first-round talent in the Major League Baseball draft, but was committed to pursuing a football career. The Jays took him in the third round with a creative arrangement that allowed him to attend school and play football while playing baseball in the summer. Was he ever that promising as a football prospect? I never heard of Robert Alford before this question, Kano. So... I know it, I went and looked him up because you asked the question. I saw that he played at like SMU in, in Mississippi, like 2012, 2013. I never heard of the guy. So maybe he thought he was something on the football field, but I could tell you that I never heard of him. So that's, that's how that goes for me. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for all the outstanding Twitter Tuesday questions per usual. Looking forward to getting back to the tackling the tough questions series tomorrow again it's running backs if you've got a a running back tough question or question or something on your mind when it comes to the bills running backs in 2020 get those questions in send me an email joe at the draftnetwork.com hit me up on twitter at the joe marino Uh, we'll continue that series the rest of the week i'm 95 percent sure i have something very special lined up for friday but i don't want to promise it and say exactly what it is just in case it doesn't Uh, come to fruition, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. So make sure you are subscribed. I always kindly ask that you rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.